Amen. Grace to find where you mess up. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse nine. Amen. Father, I can't think of anything right now that is a more defining truth and a more necessary revelation to our hearts than what you refer to as grace, the grace of God. And Lord, I don't want to stumble or miss it in any point, and I pray that Jesus says this would be more than theology to us today. Jesus, this is what transforms and changes our life, is the fact that you've given us grace. Lord, we can say we are what we are by the grace of God. And there's nothing, Lord, that we have of ourselves but what's come from you. And so, Jesus, I just pray that, Lord, that you would lead your people, lead us today as your church to embrace and lay hold of your grace on deeper levels. Lord, help us, Jesus, as your word has said, that you give grace to the humble. Lord, help us to stay humble. Help us to be contrite and lowly before you. And know, Lord, that all of our hope is found in you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and is safe. So, Lord, you're the only one who can deliver your word in its truth, its inspiration, in its power to our hearts. And the only way we're going to know, Lord, what you intend and what you mean by the grace of God is for you, Lord, to reveal that, Lord, to everybody in this place. God, I am going to preach my best, Lord, and I'm going to thank you, Lord, and I do, for the anointing and the presence and the inspiration and the joy that I have in this message. But God, I'm going to ask you to do what only you can do, and Lord, apply that to every human heart in this place. Lord, for everybody who's going to listen, everybody who's going to hear, Lord, I pray that they'll hear it in such a way, Lord, that will be transforming, that, Lord, will equalize and maximize the glory of God in the lives and the world of the people who know you. And we love you today, Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord, for our time together. Thank you, Lord, that we get to be together today. Thank you, Jesus. While so many others are struggling and suffering to be able to do what we are doing today, that we do it with freedom. But, Lord, we don't do it, Lord, with lightness. What a joy, what a blessing, God, to be together. And Father, thank you, Jesus, for those even who could not be here, but who would love to be here today. Lord, and we just ask your blessing upon their life. Strengthen them, and Lord, we pray for them to receive from you, Lord, your word for them in Jesus' name. Amen. I had <laughs> I had shared with you weeks ago that I was going to give you I gave you the trailer that I was going to speak about grace and the grace of God, and here we are. So I'm going to, I'm going to give that message this morning. I don't think I can give you, I never will uh, be able to give you in totality what we're talking about. When we talk about the grace of God, it's so much bigger than our morning will give us. Even if we were to talk into the night, it's still far bigger than that. But I want to go to this place in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul is talking and he's speaking about his experience with the grace of God. And this isn't the conversion experience. This is the apostle experience. as It might be a child of God experience with the grace of God. And so Paul talks about, just to give you a little bit of the background in chapter 12, he's talking about that God had given him this abundance of revelations. And he was actually so careful about it that he didn't want to name himself to be the one who was received the revelation of what it meant and what he meant to be caught up in the third heaven. But whatever that was, it was actually bigger and greater than he could speak of to anybody when um, in person. So he said, what I saw and what I experienced, I couldn't tell anybody. And God had given him something huge. But then he did one other thing, and then, then he gave him a messenger of Satan. And I'm not exactly sure what that was. But Paul said that it was to buffet him and to humble him. 
And so we come to this part in verse 9 where God is speaking to the apostle. And he says, I implored the Lord three times, and the, the last part of verse 8, that it might leave me. So what God had, this thorn in his flesh, that he had prayed that it would leave him. And he says, the Lord replied to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. I told you guys last time, for those of you who are here, that there's the Greek definition, uh, charis, if I'm, I'm not sure that I'm even saying it right, or charis, I think is how it's pronounced. It's the Greek word for grace. And in the New Testament, the definition that they give for that, the way that we would understand it is, it's in a manner or act, a figurative or spiritual, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. So most of us, we've been taught probably all of our Christian life, if we've had any legacy and time spent in that, is grace is unmerited favor. But how many of us, again, with a show of hands, have ever heard this definition of grace, that it is a divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life? How many here have actually heard that before, prior to me saying it? So I only have a couple hands that have said that they have. Powerful truth about the grace of God. And so I took some time to look up the, the original Greek words for some of the defining words behind this same passage of Scripture. And so I'm going to give some of those to you today to try and bring this whole idea that Paul's talking about, what God was saying to him. So strength. When we read the word strength, my, uh, my strength is made perfect in weakness. The Strong's definition for this is an ability, oh, it's, it's actually the, the definition, I'm sorry, the Greek word dunamis. Do you know where else in the Bible the word dunamis is found? It's found in the book of Acts when the disciples had received the Pentecostal outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit that was dunamis power. Dunamis is like kind of the root word for dynamite. And so we will see also this word dunamis in all other in, in almost everywhere you see power, you see dunamis as that. And so strength is dunamis. So you'll find a lot of places in the Bible where you read the word strength and it's dunamis. It's the same dunamis as was given in the book of Acts when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came for the disciples. And so he says. If you put those two together, the divine influence upon the heart and the reflection of life was given, and the strength of that grace was this dunamis. In other words, it's not just a favor. It's power to be able to live. It's power to be able to do what you couldn't. And the reason why the Christian message is so much different than any other message in the world is because what we're trying to say to the world is it's not self-sufficiency. It's the exact opposite of self-sufficiency. But it isn't without sufficiency. It isn't without power. It's not without strength. It's fullness of strength, fullness of power, but it's not your own. It doesn't come from you. You're not the source of it. You're not the originator of it. And so we're talking about this dunamis in the Scripture. And I think that's really important to pay attention to because I think a lot of us think of strength as you know what, I'm having a hard time just being able to cope with things at home. I'm having a hard time coping with things at work. I'm having a hard time coping with things at church. And so we, we struggle with this idea of coping, and I'll just get strength to be able to do what I can't do. So it's like that sleepless night, now I'm finally going to get sleep. It's that I have had a stressful day, and it's finally the stress is going to go away. That's the idea. But that's not what the Scripture is pointing to. It's talking about something above and beyond that idea of strength. And if the people of God don't get it in our hearts, that the, the dunamis that God has given us is for the ministry of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the focus. And so, part of that dunamis power is to help you get through your day and all those, but really it's to make you a worker for the, the work of Christ. Sufficient. 
So he uses the word sufficient, and he says, my grace is sufficient. And um, I'm not going to go through the Greek word itself, just going to give the thoughts here on that. It says the idea of it is raising a barrier properly to ward off. Here's another one of the definitions, to be possessed of unfailing strength. Isn't that awesome? To be possessed with unfailing strength. Sufficient is just to have unfailing strength. To be strong, to suffice, to be enough. As against danger or any other thing. So the idea is is that when you are affronted with darkness in the kingdom of darkness, you have sufficiency. You are possessed with the strength, unfailing strength, to be over, able to overcome in all matters, especially in spiritual warfare. So when we talk about sufficiency, it means you're never going to be lacking. When God supplies, you do not lack. And then weakness. And I thought this was interesting as the, in the Strong's definition, an implication, malady, moral, uh, morally, frailty, disease, infirmity, sickness, weakness. And I was like, what's that mean exactly? And I was like, that's just human life. Every one of us. How many of you have ever been sick? Wait a second. I'm seeing a few of you have not had hands up. Okay. How many of you have not been sick? I'm just, okay, here we are. Okay. I don't believe you. Okay. Young people back there trying to fool with the preacher up front. We know that that's not true. So we've all had sickness. How many of us have had recovery from sickness? All of us have. The idea is is that all of us are living in frail human bodies that are deteriorating, falling apart, aging, slowly but surely making their way to a grave. But yet, this this is the body we live in. And God is saying that He's showing Himself sufficient. He's given the strength and the grace need for us in our human frailties and limitedness. And then I love the word perfect. And the last word here is, and it's the, my power shows itself most efficacious in them that are weak. So he's taking, he knows our human uh, frailty. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he knows that we're just the dust of the ground. He knows how little you really are. And that's where he wants to work in, in that area of life. And so... <clears throat> I kind of put all of this together and formulated it in a way I best I could say is to put these words together in a way that I hope that we could understand this morning. I said this, and he said to me, my divine influence on your heart. So we're just kind of rephrasing what Paul, what God had said to Paul. And he said to me, my divine influence upon your heart and his reflection in your life raises a barrier to ward off evil for you. For my dunamis, miraculous power is most efficacious in them that are weak, feeble in mind and body. So what Paul was discovering is a message. As much as you want to be strong, as much as you want to lean on something of yourself, you have to let go of that. And with this revelation, and this is what I think, if we're asking for the glory of God to be revealed in our personal lives. So share some of that glory with you. Isaiah experienced the glory of God. And it said the train of the Lord filled the temple. And it said that from that experience, Isaiah said, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Now, why am I bringing up his story? The reason I am is because if you know Isaiah, Isaiah is God's prophet. Isaiah is speaking God's word to the people. If anybody should not be able to say, I'm a man of unclean lips, It's Isaiah. But when the holiness of God touches us at any point of our humanity, at our best, we're still going to feel like we are little and they're nothing compared to the glory of God. And so Isaiah was seeing the weight of his finiteness, his humanity under the light of the glory of God. And so we have to recognize if God is going to let us touch His glory... It's not going to be why we think ourselves great, think ourselves mighty, think of ourselves as capable, think of ourselves as having the ability to do it on our own. And so Paul, God had given Paul this tremendous revelation. Caught up in the third heaven. He said, in the body or out of the body, I don't know. 
I don't know. Has anybody, I don't know if I want to ask that question. Anybody had that experience? In the body or out of the body, I do not know. He was touching the glory of God. The glory of God is something that oftentimes when God has touched you in His power, you really don't have the power to be able to speak of that openly. There's, it's so hard to put it in English words when God has touched you with His power and with His glory. But for God to do that, He's got to do something else to make sure to preserve His glory in our lives. And He did it in the Apostle Paul. And so Paul gave him this message is, I'm keeping you in a point of weakness. This messenger of Satan, you can pray. And he said, I prayed three times that it would go away. And there's times in our life, brothers and sisters, where in order to have the glory of God, whatever is troubling you is meant to protect the glory of God on your life. I think it's interesting throughout Scripture that we read over and over again this message of how God is raising up the weak. Let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25 and 29. This is a powerful thought here. This is, this is the way God works. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised has God chosen. i got to say that one more time. The things which are despised has God chosen. Yes, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. That no flesh should glory in His presence. If after the revelation of God, Paul was glorying and boasting in himself, he would have destroyed the work of grace in his life. So, we have, <laughs> I, I want to say that there's a simple message behind this. God's message is simple. We must learn to yield ourselves to God when we are at our best and when we are at our worst. We have this printer at home, I'm going to share with you. You know, these objects that we control, right? <laughs> and how frustrating that thing is to us, especially to me, <laughs> because it has a mind of its own. It's, we want to print out this document and it's supposed to print out. And Unfortunately, it doesn't print out what I had planned on it printing out, but it prints out everything else that I didn't plan. And then I go back through the computer and try and cancel everything that was past printing uh, procedures and it's not, it's not letting go of that. It's just going to keep printing them over and over and over again. And this printer drives me nuts because it has a mind of its own. In Psalm 119, verse 176, he says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commands. There's this sense of my fallibility and my brokenness and my littleness and my finiteness. And here he is calling out, says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Lord, seek your servant. Seek me out and find me. I don't know about, but I think our world today is not teaching people how to be this way. They're not teaching us ministers how to be faithful in learning to not lean on technology, not leaning on the creation of man, not leaning on the ability and the exploits of today, not even leaning on your own knowledge, but leaning on Christ and on God. 
Now, I decided I would bring this drill because it kind of reminds me of my printer in a way, except that it doesn't have a mind of its own. Um, and I want to point out a few things about this thing. Uh, one, it's not a Milwaukee. So, you know, for those guys who know that what's valuable, they're like, that's not, that's not the kind I would buy. But we don't worry about that here. It's just a, it's a power tool, right? We call it a drill. Some would call it a power tool. But this, yeah, or cordless, whatever you want to say there. And um, anybody, anybody want to give me a demonstration here? I got Will over here. Okay, Will, come up here, brother. I love tools. Okay. You can, I want you to stay right down there, and I want you to just point it out in front of everybody. I want you to pull that trigger, and you want to show the power of how that thing works. Nope. Nope, it doesn't. Okay. Why doesn't it work, brother? I don't have the power. <laughs> you don't have the power. So what do we do with this thing to make it work? Well, if we had a battery, that might help. So you have to have a, an external power supply. <laughs> brother. Okay, that's all I needed you for for the moment. I'll call you back when I, I need you for more. Okay, here, pull the trigger for me. Just let him know that it actually works with power. <laughs> okay, I wanted I actually wanted to bring the chainsaw. I thought that would be louder and more. So a couple things about this is it was bought. It was bought. And I don't have the power or the authority to control this until I bought it. It has an external source of power. It can do nothing on its own. Those are a few things that I, 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 I see behind this message of grace that God's saying to Paul and to us. Is that in my hands, you're not supposed to be the printer who has a mind of its own. You're just supposed to be the one a Christian who learns how to yield yourself to the hand of God and to the power that he gives in order to supply and go the direction he wants to go with this. And now imagine how stupid it would be if I taught you or I was teaching uh, the self-help to a drill, how to make yourself better, how to make yourself work on a project. How many of you would call me crazy if I did that? Good, I got a few people out there that would do that. So sometimes I feel like that's where we go with. And grace is not the message that you can on your own. Grace is the message of you can't do it without God. And don't forget it. And so we've been bought with a price. That was one thing that God did with His grace for us. Is He bought us. I poured out my blood and I poured out my life for you. I bought you. Just like going to the store and picking this thing off the shelf. I could have picked a Milwaukee. I could have picked a DeWalt. I could have picked... Any, but this is the one that I picked. And when God picks a person, you're the one He chose. He didn't pick somebody else in place of you for what He called to do in your life. The other thing that's very simple about this is that this, in my hands goes where I want it to go. It doesn't go into a screw that I don't want it to go into. I don't use it as a hammer. I don't use it for something that it's not made for and I didn't design it for. I use it for what I wanted it for and what it was meant for. And when God wants to work in your life, He's doing the same thing. He's using you for what you're meant for, what He designed you for and intended you for. And there's an external source of power. That's His power working in me. You take me away from that power and you unplug me from it and there's still nothing. And Jesus said it this way, without me, you can do nothing. You're as useless as the drill, even if it has a battery, but it doesn't have somebody of intelligence operating it. And God wants to work in our life through His grace. He wants us to know you can't do it on your own. You're not what called to do it on your own. You're called to surrender and yield to me and let me flow and work through your life. And we've got self-help gospel messages out there, folks. You've got plenty of people who will teach you just use the principles of God to do it your way. 
Instead of learning to submit to the power and the authority of who He is and let Him have His work in your life. So many people are trying to use God rather than have God work His will into their life. I see some of you are laughing out there. I must have given you a demonstration that got you a little smile on your face. And I'm grateful that I have. But I pray that it's also demonstrating the reality of what God wants to do. Because reality is this, is that unlike this drill, we have a mind of our own and we can have a will of our own and we can do our own thing. In Isaiah 53, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has laid upon Him the inequity of us all. All we have gone astray. I want to bring out two two individuals from the Scripture that didn't live under the grace of God, and I want to bring out their lives in focus here. In Daniel chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, if you'll turn there. Daniel chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. And you're welcome to say amen whenever you want to. I'm totally open to that. (laughs) But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him and he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like the beasts and his dwelling with the wild donkeys And they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomever he will. The story is about Nebuchadnezzar. And at his height, and when he finally said, because of my strength and my glory, I've been able to subdue everybody else around me. And at that moment, God says, no more. And God brought him down to the place where he began to crawl on the ground just like an an ox or a cow and begin to eat the grass of the field. And his mind went mad. And eventually God restored him to say to the world, to say to the world that no man will ever be able to declare his glory above me. No one will ever show themselves in their pride and think that they can stand along with it. If you'll remember in James, it says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. Whenever you find somebody in the pride of their heart, deciding that they're going to do it on their own, I will be my own God. I will chart my own course. I will find a way. I will find a way to make it happen because I'm going to prove that I can do this. That man is going to find, or that woman is going to find conflict with God in their life. And so it was with Nebuchadnezzar. The message of the gospel is to make us realize we're weak, not strong. Not in ourselves. Secondarily, the second one is in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God, and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense under the altar of incense. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up. This is a message for us today, that God strengthens us. But don't let that lift you up. Let it humble you. And then here's another one that's kind of an interesting turn to it. Here's this one who saw himself as great and successful and lifted himself up. But here's another one who through the struggle of his life failed to seek God. In this one is 2 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 9-12. through 12. 2 Chronicles 16. 9 through 12. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless 
toward Him. Who have you have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the prophet and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. And the acts of Asa, the first and the last, were written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah of Israel. And in thirty in thirty and ninth year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. And in his disease, his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. Now, to make sure that I don't mess anything up here, this isn't about whether you're seeking going to a physician or going to a doctor for it. The difference is, is that you solely do that. That instead of seeking the Lord, going and, and not even necessarily for us in the congregation, but in his situation, God was saying, even with this trouble in your life, how come it is that I can put you to this the greatest of struggle and I cannot get you to lean back toward me? How come things are so when things get difficult, you turn away from me? You don't draw near to me. And so here he is in this disease, and you notice that God didn't wipe it away because of his love and mercy and his goodness. He left him there. He left him in his misery. And he died in his misery because he didn't seek to the Lord. The focus that I see in this in Scripture is this. The danger for the Christian is when we learn to live life outside of the dependency we have in Christ. When we learn to get by doing it in our own strength. So we're being called back to that place of my grace is sufficient in time of weakness. So what I see happen often, and I've done it myself, we've gone to that place of, man, things aren't working. What more effort do I need to put to this? How much harder do I need to work in order to make this work? And we put effort to it. And how many of you, when behind success, how many of you hear people saying this over and over again, that one of the keys to their success is the hard work that they put in? How many of us have heard that? And we're not saying that we're not called to work hard or to, to give our best effort. But the reality is there's so much pride lost in I can do this. And we're cultivating that pride of heart. And at some point, when you have failed, you have got to get back. We have got to get back to the place of, Lord, I'm sorry. I tried so hard. Because I saw so much in front of me. And I came to a wall in my own life when I realized I was trying to be the support for everybody when I needed support for myself. And in a, in a ball of tears in front of a brother, broken down because, man, I can't do it anymore. I can't keep trying to be the man. I needed God in the situation and I kept driving in my own strength until it finally broke me. And in my tears, I had to make confessions to things that I didn't even think about. And I realized I was trying to uphold an image. How many of us have been there? You're trying to uphold an image. And you don't want to say it to your wife. You don't want to say it to your pastor. You don't want to say it to your brother or sister, I'm not doing good right now. I've morally failed. And I don't want to say that to you because it's, it's not helping me to share where, where I've fallen short. The problem is with this is that we hide behind our shortcomings. And because we hide behind those shortcomings, we don't know the grace of God. And I just want to remind you back to what we we're talking about, the grace of God. The grace of God is not just the favor but the strength. What was the strength? It was the dunamis. Now, when we're talking about dunamis, think of Moses at the Red Sea. And he's standing at the Red Sea. 
Can Moses part this Red Sea? Can Moses change the circumstances? Not at all. But he said he puts his rod down, and because of the dunamis, the power of God, the sea parts. And then the miracle happens, and they walk across on dry land, and then they begin to inherit their promised land. And in the Christian life, it's the same way that we have the dunamis of Jesus, the power of Jesus walking with us through the circumstances and the difficulties of life, through the joys of life and all of the successes we have. And there's one main point is that my supply is a heaven's supply. My supply is what God has given me every day. So that if I have on a Sunday morning a successful message and God has moved you and touched you in a special way, then it's been the dunamis of Jesus that has inspired such a thing. So somebody might come to me and they said, that was a great message. And I will say, I don't understand that because it wasn't me. It was God working through me and ministered to you. And so that's the dunamis. God working through us. There's songs as we sing and the anointing comes down and ministers to you while you're worshiping God and you feel like you're drawn heavenward. What is that? It's the dunamis. It's the draw of His grace. It's the power of God working in your life to draw you closer to Him because you don't have a physical representation of Jesus. You don't have a physical representation of God. But what we do have is His presence. And you know what it's like that time when you're locked in sin and you're without Christ. And the Bible talks about that regenerating work of God. How many of us know what I'm talking about? Regenerating. Brought back to newness of life. I was dead in sin, but now I've been raised up to God. All the principles of my life and what I had lived for and what I wanted to do and what was important to me was drawn into the flesh and selfishness and sin and all about me. And it was wrecking me and it was destroying me and it was ruining me. And the dunamis of God and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ got inside of me. And God awoke a new man and He raised me up to life. And He gave me newness of life. And I'm not the same person because God has changed me. God has given me a newness of life. And now I know what it means to be born again. I was brought out of, from God's work inside. And what He's done inside of me, I was sharing with a brother earlier this morning. I remember one of the most precious things God ever did in my life. I used to be a man of bad language. A young man. A boy. Just a teenager. Bad language. Terrible, terrible language. And I remember I had spent time on my knees and the grace of God, that dunamis had touched my life over and over again where I was there and worshiping Him and the Lord met me and the Lord touched me and the Lord ministered to my heart. And I remember walking out into my lawn and just having that same intimate reflection with Him as I had before. And I remember feeling this thought hit me. was When was the last time I said a swear word? I was inwardly changed and I was outwardly changed because of the dunamis of God. And we see drug addicts, they're going to be saved because of the dunamis of God. There's going to be alcoholics that are going to be saved because of the dunamis of God. And not only saved from alcoholism, but saved for the glory of God. They're running a whole new path. I love the man. His name was Brent. And him and his wife administered to me and I watched that man share his testimony. As he said that he was drinking, a, 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 he was drinking in the moment. He was drinking the alcohol. He was drinking the beer, and he said, "Lord, if you'll change my life, if you'll just save me, I'll, I'll forever be yours. Just deliver me from alcohol." And after that, that man was changed. He was changed, dramatically changed. His life pursuits, his interests, his loves, everything that he was running after. He said, I was running 180 degrees after the world, and I turned and I ran the other direction. Because the dunamis of God changes you. The grace of God manifests in you. That's why the definition in the, in the Greek is the divine influence upon the heart, the subsequent reflection in the life. My friend, if we're not changed from this world, if we're not radically different because of what God has done in our life, how can we call it saved? How can I say I'm saved? I'm ready to go to heaven when my life is drastically so much like the world. 
I talk like the world. I act like the world. I live like the world. How can I be saved? And so we're talking about the dunamis of God. And so the reason why I bring this out is because there are many times in my life I've been so heartbroken because I feel like we've devalued and underestimated and limited what the grace of God is by just calling it divine favor. And the reason I say that is because if you, gave, if you ask me, James, what are you sensing today? I would say this. What I'm sensing is that there are a multitude of Christians who are constantly struggling, failing, falling, sinning, doing all of those things, and they're struggling, and they're saying, oh, I'm so thankful that I have the grace to forgive me. And that's as far as it goes. The grace to forgive for every time I fall. And Jesus is trying to paint a different picture to us. The grace of God is unlimited in its power. The grace of God is omnipotent in all of who God is. And the grace of God is given to you freely, without reservation. And that's why Paul could say, I am what I am by the grace of God. And listen to this man as he says to the church, He says it in his day and he says it to the church in our day. He said, I am not meet to be called an apostle because I was a persecutor of the church. But I am what I am by the grace of God. And what he's saying is this, is God takes you in all of your filth. God takes you in all of your frailty. God takes you in your partial Christianity. God takes you in your religiosity. God takes you in your COVID focus. And gets you off of it and draws you back to Him. And He gets you to the point where you realize that the life breath of God is changing me inwardly and outwardly. And He's making me a new person. And this is the message the church has to give to the world. It has to give it somewhere. We have to be able to say in your sinful, blasted, dark, broken condition, you have a hope in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You have a hope in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of them are dying, they're dying of cancer. And they need to know the gospel has changed you. They need to see the revelation and the power of it work in the way that you talk, in the way that you share, in the way that you you are with others. And God wants to pour out his grace in our life. I think honestly, from my 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 idea is that Christianity and all and if we took it from all parts of the world, Christianity is the hardest thing to live right now. Christianity, real true Christianity is the hardest thing to live. Because it takes sacrifice. It takes a a blemishless love for Christ. And what I'm seeing here today is that you're hearing more and more Christians who are giving their life for God. And they're giving their life for God because they recognize this one key point. Is He is my source. See, this is the thing, is that the last day message is Jesus Christ. It always will be. We talk of the gospel, we talk of the gospel who Jesus Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's it. That's all it is, is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. So when we begin to feed off of his supply and give it, Paul was one of the most unique men on the face of the earth. He was unique because no matter what the persecution, no matter what the struggle, he still was faithful. And amazingly faithful to God. As they were stoning him and putting him to, trying to put him to death, he still remained. And still that dunamis power rose him up so he could continue to preach the gospel. Not so that he could go to church, so that he could preach the gospel. So he could minister the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So we're not supposed to be finding the easy fronts to be the Christians, we're supposed to find the difficult places. I love that some of you men are out there hunting right now. I, I love the fact that you're doing that. And I'm grateful for it. But I'm also grateful that some of those same men are also hunting in God's kingdom too. Jesus called them fishers of men. Will, I said to him today, I said that we're, we're hunters of men. We're, we're tracking them down. We're tracking them down in their sin. We're tracking them down in their lostness and their unwillingness to hear the gospel. We're tracking them down in their hardness. And we're saying, Lord, we need the grace of God to touch them as well. You know, one of the most devastating times in my life was a man that I knew that he was struggling. 
listen to me, he believed in God. Oh man, did he believe in God. But he was, he was struggling with alcoholism. He was badly struggling with alcoholism. And I remember one day going down into his basement afterwards, and um, I said to him, while he was drunk, I said, why did you do it? And he said to me, because I felt good. I felt good. I felt like I had been doing well. And he'd been trying so hard. Listen to me. I saw him with his wife over and over again, break the relationship, removed from the house, brought back into the house, removed from the house, brought back into the house. And I saw this repetitive cycle in his life. And I realized this man is not changing unless for the grace of God that will touch his life. The grace of God that will renew him and make him a new man. And I remember looking at him broken because I felt like as if I could get into the skin of his life, I felt like for the first time I was like, it feels like your brokenness is my brokenness. Your struggle is my struggle. And all I want to see is Jesus glorified in your life. And there's times when I think that this will test your faith on a deeper level than anything else. Is when you face people that it's like, why don't they get it? You know what I mean? Why don't they get it? Because it hasn't been unveiled to them yet. But I'm praying for, as a faithful church of committed believers, I'm praying that you'll be on assignment praying for them, that you'll be on assignment ministering to them, that you'll be on assignment in, in, in our congregation defending one another and strengthening one another in the faith. Because there are so many places, as you listen to people's story, it sounds broken, it sounds difficult. But the joy that I have, the joy that I have is that when Jesus gets a hold of the drill, when He gets a hold of your life, and He directs it, it's not going to go wrong. You're not going to miss the mark. It's not going to fail. We're not going to fail where Jesus has hold of us. And so I think the battle is simply this. We have the battle of pride in our accomplishment, and we have the battle of pride in our failure. I did it. I was great. That was tremendous. And you're going to have to surrender to God when you're feeling great. And you're going to have to surrender to God when you're feeling terrible. And you're going to have to find a way to surrender to Him in every way of life. And what God's Word is to us is that the grace of God is sufficient. The grace of God is sufficient. I will be there to influence your heart and life along the path so that it will reflect in your life. I will, I will be there for you. And how many of us don't need that today? is the Lord's message to us. And you know what? This isn't pulling up by the bootstraps. And I'm afraid that I'm not sending, trying to send that message at all. You know what, brother? If you're not doing it good enough, just get down and pray a little bit harder. Just pray more. The problem is, is sometimes when we pray, we're praying just like we go out there and work. We work to do it and accomplish it in our own strength. If I just said these Scriptures, people will do that. They'll give you the formula. Listen to me. The Gospel is not a formula. The gospel's not a formula, and people are treating it like a formula. And I have. I've treated it like a formula. If I just say the right scripture, if I confess the right scripture, and I say it the right way, point it to the right window, all of a sudden it will happen. And it's not that way. It's not a formula. So when we read our Bibles, brothers and sisters, we're not reading our Bibles to find the formula. We're not finding the formula. We're finding the God that's behind the Word of God. We're learning that He's there. We're learning that when it seems like all is hidden and all is dark, He's there in those moments. When everything's in this bliss and its greatness, we're still finding the joy of humility in the moment. And we're enjoying Him. And we're loving Him no matter what. And so the focus becomes Jesus over and over again. And some of us are struggling to pray. And I'd say this, that sometimes God says, quit. I just want you to stop. I want you to go outside and I want you to go enjoy. Go out into nature and enjoy it for a moment. And in the moment when you quit trying on your own, listen to me, when you quit trying to do it in your own strength, all of a sudden God shows up. He shows up in the most miraculous and powerful way. Oh Lord, I was trying. I was trying to defeat the struggle and the emotional bondage that I was in. And all I did today was I just went as if to escape it and to stop trying to, to get my mind 
to quit wandering and, and my emotions to quit floundering. And I just, I didn't even focus on you. I didn't even try. And the presence of the Lord touched me. You know why that is? It's because when we talk about relationship, it's a two-sided thing. And sometimes God comes to you and sometimes you come to Him. Sometimes God comes to you and sometimes you come to Him. And that's the powerful reality is, Lord, I wasn't expecting you in the moment. I wasn't even, I wasn't even anticipating you. I was out in the woods going out and getting wood and my truck was stuck and it wouldn't start. And in the moment, I just, Lord, I don't know what to do about this. And I had your deepest revelation to my heart, not in my prayer closet, but while I was about work, while I was doing my normal business. Because God came to me in the moment. God ministered to me. And I want to continue just to pray for that over your lives, but I want you to pray that for me. Lord, minister to Him. Help Him not to be the minister that relies upon Himself or the technology or the world around Him, but relies upon you. Honestly, I feel like the best messages, if you'd seen the struggle that I had with this, was simply this. My greatest struggle in preaching is simply that sometimes I study too hard or I try and read too much or I'm trying to find it all in Scriptures. My greatest times are when I've been in here alone and I've just been praying. Lord, I don't know what to share. I don't know what to say. I don't know why. I don't know, I don't know what your inspiration is for the week or for the moment. I don't know what to do. And you know what? And then I feel like the Lord says, forget about that. I don't even want you to focus or even pray about the message or preaching or anything. I just want you to worship me in the moment. And I'll tell you, it's been the last month over and over again. I just felt like that was the call of God. Would you just worship me right now? Just play the music, the worship music that most touches your heart. It's the closest to who, where you are with me. And just worship me in that moment. And I would worship him. And while I was worshiping him, confoundedly, the Lord would bring the message in the moment. And those are the ones I want to deliver every Sunday. I want to deliver, even if it's two words, I would deliver every Sunday the message that comes in two words that God provoked in me by worshiping Him than I would through all my study, through all the hard effort and all the work that I would give to give something that would be anointing and would minister to you. And I would require and would crave the same thing of my brothers and sisters. Don't do it because you're working so hard at it. Do it because you're inspired and moved by God. And that same Holy Spirit that touched those men on the day of Pentecost and moved on their life is the same Holy Spirit that wants to work in your life and do things through you. And you're in that place right now where God has you in your field. Let Him minister in your field. Amen? Amen. Well, I've given the message. I don't, I'm not going to go any longer. Uh, I'm grateful that God has given me the opportunity to minister to you this morning. Amen. Father, thank you today, Lord, for your word to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are speaking to our hearts, Lord. Not just what does the Bible say, but what is the conviction that it adds to our heart and fills in our life. And so, Jesus, I just pray that you would warm our hearts deeply, Lord, affectionately and fully for you today. Lord, this song that we are about to sing is very, very precious. And Lord, it's it's the anthem, Lord, of this church. And as we sing to you, Lord, I just pray, be worshipped, be praised, be glorified, be honored in Jesus' name. Amen.